Okay, can we have our readings, uh, please, uh, brought to us um, by Colin and Janet? Yeah, thank you. The first reading is uh, Jonah, chapter 1, which is Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to the Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is light to you. Sign of Jonah. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for signs, but none will be given, be given it except the sign from the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Amen. Okay, good morning. Um, thank you so much for the lovely welcome that I've had this morning. It's been really nice. Um, I've never been here before, so it's quite exciting to be in a new place. Um, I've got my husband Damon with me as well, um, and then Catherine and Andy have just tagged along. <laughs> Keep me company, I think. Um, you might remember my dad. He came a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, Malcolm, he came in a Wigan top. Um, yes. Um, so... That kind of gives you an idea of where my background is then, um, since you've met him. Um, so I was, I was born in Wigan, bred there, I've moved around a lot. <laughs> um, I have moved around an awful lot though, because my mum is a Methodist minister, um, so we've, we've moved since I was about eight years old, we've moved every five years. Um, and so that's kind of where my background is. I've been in many, many different Methodist churches, uh, while I was at uni, I went away to Bangor, um, and while I was there, I became part of more of an evangelical church. Um, felt a little bit too out of my comfort zone, so went back to Methodism as soon as I could, um, which is why you might have noticed I haven't sat on the front row today, because as a Methodist, sometimes I feel the front row is a bit uncomfortable. Um, so, um, a little bit about me, who I am outside of the church as well. Um, I'm a primary school teacher. I teach year five and year six. Um, this week I had the horror of having to step in to teach a year six maths lesson when the teacher that was meant to be there didn't show up. It was very interesting, trying to do cubed numbers when I know nothing about it. Um, but I think just recently, especially, I've started to feel a real call on my life from God in a bit of a different direction. And I started taking steps down that way. And you'll see a little bit of why that is um, through what I'm going to speak to you about today. Um, so when I went to my current job to interview, um, I was asked the most amazing question. And they asked me, what is your favorite Bible verse? I thought, that's amazing. To go to a school and to be asked that in my interview process. And I said straight away, there was just no thought process needed, really, that my favorite story is the story of Jonah. He is somebody who, for me, I can see a lot of myself in him. 
and I think a lot of people probably can as well. He is somebody who is known for running away and for not listening to what God had said. And most people know the story of Jonah, even a lot of people who don't come to church will have heard of Jonah before and know that he was eaten by a fish and stayed there. But actually, when you read the rest of the story and you really delve deep into it, there's so much there that I didn't notice before. I absolutely love it because Jonah is somebody that God chose even though he was going to run away. He knew when he chose Jonah and when he called him exactly what Jonah was going to do. He knew where Jonah's heart was. He knew that Jonah was not ready to go and deliver this message to Nineveh. Because Nineveh was a giant city full of scary people. It was known as a place that used to torture people. It was not a nice city. And poor Jonah had been called to go there. God asked him when he was most likely to run. So he ran away. He ran from God's call. He got it wrong. But God knew that he would. Even later on in the story, after the bit that we've read, Jonah eventually does go and do what God has asked of him. But he does it so begrudgingly, and he doesn't really do a very good job at it. But God uses what he has given, that small offering of what Jonah has accepted and done, to do something quite amazing. But Jonah then gets angry at God for the way it turned out, even though he didn't put his all into it in the first place. I wonder how many of us can think of a time in our lives when we've done that, when we've done something begrudgingly and then got angry about the outcome. In Jonah, we have a companion in our own ineptness. And I think that the story of Jonah resonates with us for four reasons. The first one being running. So in Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, One day, long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went in the other direction, to Tarshish running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those that were going to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. How often do we run away from what God is calling us to do? Perhaps there's been a moment in your life, I know there's been many in mine, when you've heard God clearly telling you to do something and you've ignored it. Perhaps you've deliberately gone against it. We run away from what God wants us to do in so many different ways. And yet I think that Jonah holds the record for the most spectacular runaway. So I started doing a bit of research around this and I looked at a map and found out where all the different places are. So at the time of Jonah, ships were travelling from Britain to the south of Spain and then over to Israel. And they were carrying tin. It was the main trade route for tin. It's thought that this is the trade route that Jonah managed to get himself a place on. And so he was trying to head for the south of Spain. Now that is a big difference, distance from Israel to the south of Spain. He didn't think that God was going to follow him there. If we look way back in the Bible, right the way to Genesis, we see something very similar happening. Adam and Eve are given one thing that they must never do and they do it, and they ruin their paradise that they had with God 
spectacularly by eating that fruit, they end up as far away from God as they could possibly get. But again, God hadn't truly left them. But we'll come back to that in a bit. Second thing that I really like about Jonah is that he is a witness. The biggest difference between us and Jonah is that when we find ourselves in a bind, we often tend to blame God or we might find somebody else to place the blame on rather than ourselves. It's easier to blame our almighty creator rather than to think about how it's actually possibly our own actions that got us in that dark place in the first place. In those moments, are we being a witness to God in this world? If somebody asked us something about something that's going wrong, do we ever say, do we ever have that strength to say what Jonah said? It says that when they grilled him, confess, why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I am a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven who made the sea and land. Later on, they prayed to God. Oh God, don't let us drown because of this man's life. And don't blame us for his death. You are God. Do what you think is best. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and immediately the sea was quieted. The sailors were impressed and were no longer terrified by the sea, but instead were in awe of God. They worshipped God, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. Jonah had every reason to deny God in this point, but instead he fully admits who he is, his identity as a Hebrew and of a worshipper of God. Even though all of his previous actions have not necessarily shown that he worships God. He hadn't just ignored him, he purposefully ran away, but then admits it. And the sailors must have seen something in Jonah's declaration because they turned away from their own beliefs and instead worshipped this God that they had seen in Jonah. Through Jonah's sin, these sailors entered into a real relationship with God and they saw his power. So even in this situation, God has used Jonah to do his work in the world. When we can admit that we believe in a God who saves, even in the hardest times and even when things aren't going right, we are a witness to his grace and his goodness simply through the way that we are living. The third part of Jonah's story is foretelling, and we saw it in the verse from Matthew. Jonah's story foreshadows what Jesus is going to go through. It prepares the way for Jesus to be able to come onto this earth and to do all the amazing things that we know that he's done. Jesus talks about the signs of Jonah, and he says that this is the proof that Jesus has been given the authority by God. So when the Pharisees are looking for more evidence, he says, you can see it in the book of Jonah. You can see it in Jonah's story. This is what I've come to fulfill. Jonah was in a position where he couldn't possibly save himself. In fact, he actually had to ask the sailors to throw him overboard. There was nothing to be done. The situation was hopeless. But God had other plans and sent that fish to save him and gave him three days of darkness that would then be mirrored in what Jesus did when he died. This part of the story always reminds me of Finding Nemo. It's probably one of my favorite Disney Pixar films. Um, when 
Marlin and Dory are eaten by the whale after Dory is convinced that she can speak whale. Um, they get eaten, they're sat there in the whale's mouth, um, and then through this weird conversation that Dory has with the whale, the whale actually ends up spurting them out exactly where they needed to be in Sydney Harbour. A bit messier with Jonah, because when Jonah was put exactly where God needed him to be, he was vomited up onto the beach. Not a very nice picture that it paints. There is something else that this is also similar to other than Pixar films. So in Genesis, when we were hearing about Adam and Eve, they committed the first sin, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, they purposefully disobeyed God, and as a result, the whole world was going to suffer, not just them. Though over the years, different nations had tried to earn back their favour with God, no one was ever able to save themselves from the fate that Adam and Eve had brought upon the world. Some people decided to give up altogether and turned away from God. But God still had a plan. He sent Jesus to spend those three days in darkness, saved the whole world from those sins that they would commit, from the sins that had been committed, and from Adam and Eve's first sin. And in doing so, has brought us back from death, spurting us out in a slightly cleaner way, where God needs us to be so that we can do the work that he has given us. So through this, we see a God who did not only make a plan to save us, but he chased us throughout history, from the point when Adam and Eve committed that first sin to our lives today and well on into the future. He chased us down. He sent his son to die for us. Jonah probably didn't deserve to be saved. He'd messed up spectacularly. Who would choose somebody who they knew would run away from them and hate them? But God chose intentionally. He was intentional in picking a man that wasn't perfect and didn't deserve any of his grace. This is what John Wesley meant when he spoke about grace. All the blessings which God has bestowed upon man are of his grace, bounty or favour, his free, undeserved favour, favour altogether undeserved, man having no claim to the least of his mercies. It was free grace that formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him a living soul and stamped on that soul the image of God and put all things under his feet. The same free grace continues to us all, at this day, life and breath and all things. For there is nothing that we are or have or do which can deserve the least thing at God's hand. All our works, thou, O God, hast wrought in us. These, therefore, are so many more instances of free mercy, and whatever righteousness might be found in man, this is also a gift from God. John Wesley had amazing insights into what God's grace truly means for us. He calls it prevenient grace. This means that God's grace doesn't just come behind us, it actually goes ahead of us into every situation of our lives. I think that this is what Jonah found. When God's grace and loving nature even went with him, prepared the way for him, 
prepared the hearts of those sailors on that ship for him to minister to them through his sin, it went before him into the city of Nineveh when he eventually went. He chased after Jonah, not letting him run from his calling. When he sent Jesus to us, he was chasing after our heart to bring us back to him. When he was calling for us and we run, he doesn't give up and then just choose somebody else for the task. He relentlessly pursues us, just as Jonah couldn't escape him. Psalm 139, which is probably my favourite psalm in the whole of the book, it talks about how there's nowhere that we can go to escape from God. He will chase us down, he will go before us to keep us in that grace, even when we screw up as badly as Jonah. Wesley suggested to his congregations that there were four means of grace, four ways that we can celebrate and access all that God's grace has got to offer. This is prayer, word, fasting, and holy communion. During Lent and during Advent as well, these are both periods of waiting where we will, some of us will take part in various aspects of that. We pray, we look at God's word, we look in the Bible and we find out what God can teach us through it. So, the question that remains for us, the decision that we have, is what are we waiting for? What plan has God placed on your heart that you've been running away from? And what are you going to do about it to make sure that you don't miss out on the unrelenting love that our Creator has got for you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the unrelenting love that you have for us, for the way that you chase us down, for the way that you prepare the way for us, and you do everything in your almighty power to love us, to care for us, and to send us out into the world with your mission in our hearts. Amen.